If you have your worship folder there and you want to flip over to the next next page, page 10, we're going to look together this morning at uh, Genesis chapter 20, uh, verses 25 to 43. And one of the things that I have tried to continue to say uh, every week as we've looked at this book is that the book of Genesis is really a good news book. Uh, that's the way that the Apostle Paul refers to uh, this book. And it's, it's a good news book to God's people that uh, are there, and they're on their way uh, to the promised land. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt. However, one of the things that I've also tried to stress is that if you're looking for good news in the characters of this book, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> uh, the characters of this book are real people. The Bible never shies away from presenting God's people as real people. People who are a mixed bag. But if we keep God's promises and his word clearly in view, that's where the good news of this book emerges. And also that's where it is most consistently and clearly uh, evident throughout the whole story. And so where we are is we're in the middle of Jacob's story. So we've, we've looked at the creation account up through the flood with Noah. We've looked at Abraham and Isaac. And now we're into Jacob's story. And then we're going to look at Joseph, and that'll take us to the end of the book. But Jacob's story so far uh, is it's not a pretty story, as we've seen. It's full of, of deception and manipulation and um, disregard for one another in the story. It's full of competition and untruthfulness. And so I want to give you a little bit of a, a sense of, of where we are. We, this is Jacob is in Haran at his uncle Laban's house. And his parents sent him there a number of years before where we are in the story right now to find a wife, uh, which he did. And we just last week noticed that uh, he actually got two wives out of going to visit his uncle. And that there's a whole, uh, uh, you can go back and read that whole shenanigans that uh, Laban, uh, his uncle, puts him through. And, and Jacob figures out uh, how his, his uncle's maybe not the most uh, reliable, upstanding guy. Be that as it may... God has provided Jacob with a family, and he wants to go back home now. And that's where this story picks up. So feel free to listen, or you can just follow along here, Genesis chapter 30, beginning at verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my, home, my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children to, for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, 
When shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So here we are. This is right in the middle of Jacob's story. And I want to do my best to try to help you understand how this episode fits into the bigger story so it can help make some sense. As I've said, you know, Jacob's story, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a pretty story. Uh, Jacob is a, is a shady character from time to time. Uh, pretty much everybody in this story is. And yet, it unfolds in the shadow of God's word to Jacob and the shadow of God's promises to him. Back in chapter 28, after Jacob has left home out of fear for his life because of his brother Esau, he's on the way to his uncle's house. And the only incident that's recorded of that great trip is when God appears to him in a dream and God makes promises to him. He says, the covenant that I've made with Abraham and to your father Isaac, I am making to you. And then he says to him also, he says, I, w- I am with you. He says, I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back home. So that's the big picture that we have to keep in view even when we come to this section. And so I have two points for us this morning. The first is this, there's a just plea and a resilient faith. A just plea and a resilient faith. So much of how th- this sermon is going to unfold is I'm going to try to retell the story some. 
and, and then try to tie it together at the end. But when we come to this first idea of a just plea, look here in verses 25 to 36. Jacob here, as we said, I mentioned already in verse 25, uh, Jacob has 12 sons that we learned about in uh, earlier in chapter 30 and in chapter 29. And after Rachel bore him a son that they call Joseph, Jacob goes to, to Laban and says, I, I, I want to go home. I have fulfilled my obligations to you. And if you remember, Jacob's obligations to Laban were the equivalent to, at that day and time, a bride price. So often how it would work if a, uh, if a son uh, came to a family member or uh, a family that had a daughter and he wanted to marry a daughter, he would usually come with gifts and uh, money as a token of, here, I, I would like to marry your daughter, may, may I do that? Jacob came to Laban with nothing at all. And so he enters into this arrangement where he says, I, I will work for you for seven years for Rachel's hand. And if you remember, this is where Laban tricks uh, Jacob and gives Jacob Leah instead of Rachel. But Jacob says, that's fine. I will work another seven years. And so here Jacob has worked 14 years as an indentured servant, if you will, in Laban's house. And Jacob says, look, I have fulfilled my obligation to you. Please let me go. Please let me return to my own home and my own country. But here's the thing. Laban realizes that he is a much better off man with Jacob than without Jacob. Both of them realize and recognize that God has blessed Laban because Jacob has been in Laban's house. And to put it real simply, Laban doesn't want to lose Jacob. Laban realizes that uh, he has a great deal to lose if Jacob leaves. So Laban says to Jacob, all right, name your price. I'll pay you what you want so that you'll stay. And that sounds a little bit more, um, how to say it, like they're on equal footing here. But if you've ever watched, you know, I, I don't know what this tells you about me, but I, I like the Netflix shows that talk all about, like, the ca- drug cartels. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I should admit, I, I like Narcos. It's not a, not a good show. Um, <laughs> But one of the things that, that I've realized in watching it is if you get involved in a drug cartel, you can't get out. They will hunt you down and they will kill you. Now, I don't think that it's quite that extreme in this scenario, but it sort of is like that. Where Laban is the one with all the power. Laban is the one who owns all the stuff that Jacob has helped bring to Laban's assets, if you will. It's a little bit like trying to leave the mafia. You don't just leave the mafia. So I want you to kind of feel the force of this here, that 
Jacob would like to leave and Laban is basically saying, you know what, you can't leave. And you know what, I'm going to make it impossible for you to leave because I'm going to pay you whatever I have to to make you stay. So here's the arrangement that they come to. Jacob is just and right to ask to leave. But Laban won't let him. And so Jacob says, look, I don't want anything from you. I don't want you to pay me anything. Because really what I want is I want to be able to provide for my family so I can return home. And not be dependent and beholden to you anymore. So Jacob says here in verses 31 to 34, he says, all right, how about this? I will continue to watch over your flocks. But what I want you to do is I want you to give me the rarest of the flock. So, you know, all this spotted and speckled and the black sheeps and the white goats, all that stuff. Have you ever been to, I couldn't get out of my head, Waffle House, the smattered, smothered and covered thing this week. But this you know, speckled, spotted. Anyway, here's what's going on. <laughs> Ordinarily, the sheep and the lambs are white. Ordinarily, the goats are dark brown or black. That's all you really need to know. That's, that's the normal way in which these animals were born. But every now and then, uh, the, the goats, who, order, who would, you know, usually black or brown, would um, be, become mixed. They'd have white streaks or they'd be spotted in some way or some would actually be all white. And then you take the white lambs and sheep and sometimes they would become spotted and have color in their coats. And so Jacob is saying, okay, look, I will watch over your flocks. Just give me the rarest for my wages. This is a fantastic deal for Laban. And he says, yeah, sure, let's do that. But here again, what we see happen is true to form. Instead of letting Jacob... Uh, watch over all of the flock and remove from the flock the rarest, the, the colored sheep and goats, Laban actually takes them out himself, gives them to his sons and says, hey, you guys, I want you to go three, a three-day journey away. Because if Jacob is going to get any of my flock, it's going to come because he has tended to the, the, the flock that is not colored in any way. That way, he's going to have to stay here longer. And here is the true form. This is exactly what we would expect from Laban. He's deceptive. He's tricky. He's conniving. And we're going to see next week that he actually changes uh, Jacob's wages ten times over the years that he's been serving in Laban's house. And here's the question that I want us to see that comes out of Jacob's just plea, his request to go home, is there's this tension here. The power of God's promises to Jacob and living life under an unjust master. That's the tension that this part of the story brings up for us. How can you live in light of God's promises in a situation that's not fair, that's not right, and there's nothing you can do to change it. What do you do in those situations? 
Think of it like this. Maybe you currently are or you have been employed in a, in a job where your boss is unjust. And either you experience that personally or you know it's happening and you will get implicated in it or you will be indirectly affected by it. Or maybe you've ever been in a, in a you feel this sometimes, particularly if you're of school age, where you feel like your, your teacher is not fair. They take points off your tests or your papers, your projects, and they're not fair. Or perhaps one of the classic ones that I deal with in my house is that referee or that ump is unjust. <laughs> you know, as a parent, it always drives me nuts when I see coaches talking about or helping kids cope with the outcome of the game because the, the ump or the ref was bad. I'm not denying that that's not sometimes the case. But how are you going to live and put one foot in front of the other when life is not fair? That's what this passage is about. And it brings us to the second point of a resilient faith. How is Jacob supposed to continue in this situation that is not fair? And you, you notice here, here we have a glimpse of Jacob's character where he says, look, I don't want anything from you, Laban. I want to care for my family. I, and here is a proposal that will prove my integrity to you, that I am honest, that everybody can see, that I'm not stealing from you, so that everybody in the situation can see that I have worked for you, I have honored my word, I've honored you, and I want to go home. How can Jacob continue in this situation? Like I said, at, at verse 25, uh, Jacob is 14 years in already. By the end of this passage, he's 20 years in. So when you get to verse 37, he's beginning another six years of serving Laban, taking care of his flocks. And the question is, how can he keep doing this? And here I'm, I'm, I'm sort of going to tell you the answer and then unfold it for us. The answer is, Jacob is living in the shadow of God's promises to him that I mentioned at the beginning. So for, when he says here in verse 25, I want to go home, send me back. Why does he say that? Is he just lonely or homesick? No. He says that because God has said to him, I am making my covenant with you. He has, say, he has said to Jacob, it's through you I'm going to bless the nations. I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you home. That's the shadow that Jacob is living under. In other words, for Jacob, God's word is strong enough and real enough to him so that he can continue in this situation. And so what's he do? In verses 37 to, 30, to 43 here, uh, we could say that, that Jacob gets, gets scrappy. He gets uh, creative. He's resourceful. He figures out a way to create a flock out of nothing, as it were. Remember, Laban took all of the, the sheep and the goats that are, are speckled and spotted or black or brown, the different ones. 
And there's all this debate about what is going on with the sticks. I know you're dying <laughs> to know what's going on here. I don't, I don't know. Uh, no one really knows. Uh, some commentators suggest that, that Jacob is resorting to certain ancient Near Eastern magical practices. Um, others suggest, and I, I find this a bit more plausible, uh, kind of like if you were here a week or so ago, remember the mandrakes that uh, Rachel wanted Leah's son's mandrakes? And those were kind of an ancient Near Eastern um, uh, fertility helper, shall we say. I think this is kind of what's going on here, from what we can tell, that whatever Jacob is doing here with these sticks, it facilitated and helped the breeding of these animals. And the result of it is Jacob is able to kind of position things and work things out so that he's able to create a large flock, a healthy flock, and at the same time, prevent Laban's flock from growing and being healthy. Now, I'm not here to, to try to, to say, is that morally okay or not? Really, I think what I'm trying to help you to see is, what would you do in this situation? Serving under an unjust master who will not let you leave and you have nothing but you have a family and you have promises. What would you do? When I read this story, this is one of the moments where Jacob to me seems like a very shrewd, wise guy who knows the situation and he's figured out a way to make the most of it. And so after these 20 years of serving under Laban, God blesses him. In verse 43, Jacob increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. What I want you to see happening here is this, this, it's not just that he hit the jackpot. We're watching God's covenant promises to Jacob unfold in real time, in a real story. God's blessed Jacob with children. God's blessed Jacob with possessions. Why? Because God made a covenant with Jacob that through him and his offspring, the world would be blessed. So here's what I want us to think about. What can create a resilient faith in you under the most unfavorable circumstances? Let me start first by saying two things that will not create that kind of faith. The first is this. Our successes and our failures. If you fundamentally live your life under the shadow of your successes and failures, it will erode your faith. Why is that? Because our successes tend to cultivate in us a heart disposition that I don't need God. Doesn't mean our successes are bad. It just means... Oftentimes, our successes lead us to functionally live as though I don't really need God. Things are going fine. Or take your failures. Our failures often lead us to believe, well, God can't help me. I'm too far gone. 
My situation's so bad. My failures and decisions are so definitive that not even God can help me. So that's the first thing that erodes faith, successes and failures. But the second is our circumstances. How many times do you think Jacob thought, God must be against me? You know, so often we read our circumstances, whether bad, God's against me, or good, God's for me. That's kind of a dangerous thing to do. These two things erode faith. They do not create a resilient faith. But what can? Well, remember who this is written to. Remember, this book is written to God's people on the way to the promised land. After 400 years of living under an unjust master. Think of it like this. I believe Jacob was a real person. He really did live. That this story really happened. But... I think we're also meant to read this story as a personification of Israel's story. A story that is riddled with profound failure. That a story of exile. Jacob is a long ways from home. A story where we're longing for home. It's a story of living under An unjust master under a situation that's not fair. And what can create a resilient faith? Well, for Jacob, it was God's promises to him. And that's every bit as much true for you and for me. But I want to push a little further because we live on the other side of the death and resurrection. And I want to help you think about this question. How... How big is the gospel that you believe in? Here's another way of putting it. I think for many, many people, particularly if you live in the West, and particularly if um, our lives, not that we haven't experienced suffering and, and um, in, inequity or unfairness, but whose lives, generally speaking, go well. I think we often can think of the gospel as, well, God can forgive me for my sin. He can deal with my guilt. But have you ever thought about, can your gospel also deal with when you've been sinned against? Does your gospel have good news for someone who has been unjustly treated? or who has been wronged, or who has been unfairly misunderstood. You see, because the Christian gospel speaks to both kinds of people, both situations. People who are guilty and people who have been unjustly treated. Why is that so important? Well, um... Let me try to give you, uh, bring this down for you. Um, and let me qualify this a little bit by saying, um, when I was one and a half, my parents got divorced. And as those situations go, I would say uh, the last 42 and a half years have been about as good of a scenario as one could hope for from a broken home. 
So I just want to say that up front. Yet, my entire life has lived under the shadow of decisions that other people have made. Decisions that uh, led to a life that I would say it's not supposed to go that way. Marriages aren't supposed to blow apart. And one of the most powerful things for me is learning how the gospel speaks words of good news into my life as someone who is the recipient or on the receiving end of unfairness, of injustice at the hands of people I'm, I'm, I'm most supposed to, to trust and, and find safe. Now, I'm not saying that as I, I'm not mad at my parents. We're, we're good. We're good. But what I am saying is, for me, when I see Jesus Christ misunderstood, hanging on the cross as a result of a hung jury, unjustly crucified, I see there, and I hope you do too, a Savior who understands injustice, who understands unfairness, who understands what it's like to live in this world and, and have to go through things that are not your fault and there's nothing you can do about them. And in Jesus, you find a resilient faith. You find a Savior who for you suffered and died to bring an end to everything that's not right. So that if you are a recipient or you experience unfairness, life under an unjust master, and you think of that metaphorically with me for a minute, the cross of Jesus tells you that God's intention to bless you can never ever be undermined. It can never be thwarted by anything in this world, however powerful, However overwhelming. And here's what I want you to hear. A resilient faith is the gift of a suffering savior. A resilient, persevering faith is not you waking up in the morning saying, man, I'm going to do better, try harder today. A resilient faith is recognizing, I don't have that kind of faith, but I have a savior who does And he lives to give me that kind of faith. Why? Because he's committed himself to me. He has promised. He has said, I will be with you. I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you home. That's what this part of Jacob's story tells you. It's why it's a good news book for us here today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the story. We give you thanks for the ways in which even these stories of the Old Testament unfold for us good news that bring us to Jesus and the power of the gospel and its, its bigness for every aspect of our lives, for every need, for every failure, for every circumstance that is beyond us to to sort out or to change. And 
Father, we ask that where we find ourselves backed into a corner, helpless, incapable of doing anything uh, to change our situation, please help us to run to Jesus. And Father, we do pray that you would give us this faith, a faith that is so rooted and grounded in your promises to us that we can put one foot in front of the other and know that you will never leave us or forsake us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.